1: Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Mr. Sean Clyre.
2: <laughs> hey there, David. How are you? Oh, you know, as far as 2020 goes, I, I, I shouldn't complain. I can't complain. I'm safe, I'm healthy, I'm well fed i am I am doing just fine for 2020
1: where are you? Are you in New York City or am I just making that up
2: you uh, you are not I am in New York
1: yes so there you go where I mean I'm in New York too where in New York are you
2: I'm in Sunset Park actually, which is maybe the best place in the city to be right now because the park still has just enough snow on it and you can go there's an amazing sledding hill there's literally like a a just graveyard of broken sleds at the bottom of it so uh it's been the perfect month to embrace my inner child
1: and like i shouldn't even ask you where you are because like does it even matter really i mean (laughs) (laughs) i've
2: been dying to be needed somewhere anywhere but yeah i i'm in brooklyn by happenstance it doesn't matter where i am
1: I I heard that Brooklyn is busier than Manhattan though, right? Like, I think it's like, I have friends in Brooklyn. Somehow I picture it as busier.
2: It's the strangest thing because I don't think I've ever been in New York for an extended period of time without being in Manhattan at least once. I haven't even been in Manhattan. I have no idea if it's busier or not because I haven't gone into the city.
1: Well, it's not busy, I can tell you, but uh, to your point- (laughs) all my friends in Brooklyn are like, they have not been in the city in like the longest period of time.
2: I feel like in Brooklyn, at least you have this sense that there are places to go outside and stretch out a little bit. Well, it's depending on where you're at in Manhattan. It's sort of like, okay, if I go to a park, there's going to be 40 million people there because there's nowhere else for anyone to go.
1: Seriously. Now, where are you from originally? You're not from New York. I know that. No,
2: I'm from Kentucky originally. Grew up in Louisville and then moved to New York in 2009. So I've been here a long time now.
1: When you were growing up, was it always acting or did you, like, you know, when you were young, did you want to, did you have a million jobs that you wanted to do?
2: I genuinely had no idea what I wanted to do. None really? whatsoever. I, yeah, I mean, acting was something I did. Because it was available to me. Luckily, you know, my high school would put on plays and I could hop in and out and still do sports and other stuff. And it was it was just fun. But the idea of it as a career was outlandish and maybe even irresponsible to me. I didn't even entertain it.
1: Right. Well, I mean, if I told my parents I wanted to be an actor, they would have canned the house. So there you go. Like I'm a nice Jewish boy from Connecticut. So I get it. You know, it wasn't in a lot of people's repertoires. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We where in Connecticut. You from?
1: Uh, originally from orange, like it's an orange Woodbridge, Bethany area.
2: Oh God. I don't know it well enough. My folks moved to Connecticut from Kentucky a few years ago to be close to the city.
1: Where the are area, they in Connecticut?
2: Area roughly.
1: Okay. So like, near... yeah.
2: Up by Waterbury.
1: Okay. So that's my sister lives like West Hartford, like Danbury. Okay. That's, so that's nice. Yeah. right?
2: Yeah. Oh, it's awesome having them close. Yeah. It's great.
1: So you can go escape to Connecticut.
2: Exactly. Which I've been doing a lot of provided I can stay far enough for my parents to not potentially kill them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I haven't gone home because like, I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, my parents are divorced. They don't live together, but they're both really haven't left their houses. And I'm like, I'm not sure as safe as I've been that I'm really the person I should, you should be around.
2: Yeah. I mean, I hate that what we're hedging against is low risk because I guess, you know, the amount of people that catch it and actually transmit it and actually get severely ill from it. It's relatively low, but it's it, there enough that you have to take every precaution.
1: And, totally. Yeah,
2: it's increasingly hard to do that until you read the news and you're like, Oh, right. Holy crap. Stay inside.
1: Exactly. So after Kentucky, you went to college at Bowdoin. So that's a good school.
2: Yeah. Super lucky to get in there, play baseball up there. Um, which is you know the silliest place in the world to play baseball because it 's freezing cold year round <laughs>
1: you know? yeah, this should um, be like nothing for you here, right
2: oh come on yeah this is this is a cakewalk i'm i'm this is balmy
1: maine is like pretty serious
2: yeah it 's the tundra in the winter, but the rest of the year it 's gorgeous it 's I love it up there
1: and did you did you go to school for acting or you studied something totally different? No, I barely, I barely did
2: any acting. I ended up getting a, um, I was a history major. It was a liberal arts school, so you know you can study anything that is not applicable to any actual occupation. <laughs> and yes, that's, I did plenty of that, and then kind of blinked, looking back, being like, "Well, what do I do now?" And when I moved to New York, um, I grew up on a diet of John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, and thought they were brilliant. They were uh, the Mark Twain of our generation and um, I wanted to be like them so I started doing stand up just to sort of get my feet wet in entertainment. And one thing led to another from my from a stand up career into an acting career.
1: How'd you end up so like did you know you were coming to New York for that? Like why did you come to New York growing up in you know, nothing wrong with it, but like Kentucky to Maine, not ever I mean, I'm from Connecticut. If you're if you're from Connecticut, you either go to Boston or you go to New York or I don't know where else you go.
2: Man, I wish there was some method to this madness. There really wasn't. It was like, uh, get out of Kentucky. Just go anywhere else. Try somewhere else. And then it was, well, my brother's in New York. Might as well go there. And also, everybody should try to live in New York for a little bit, I guess. I don't know.
1: That's true. So,
2: Right. And so I went. And at that point, I didn't have a job or any income. I just got a restaurant job and thought, okay, let me give a few years trying stand up because it's something i've had fun doing and experimented with before and just we'll just see and then i'll get serious about life when i'm 24 25 something like that um and i just failed to get serious at life (laughs) i just didn't
1: how was your stand up in the beginning because that's like a hard thing to do for a lot of reasons
2: oh it was bad (laughs) it was really really bad um but it was good for me in that sense that, that I think in any career, but especially as in entertainment, you need to get good at, at sucking because you will suck and you will suck publicly. And if you can't steel yourself to that and also learn that that is how you get better, um, then you know, you're know probably not going to be cut out for it. And failing and falling flat on my face on the stand-up stage was uh, really a quick hard knocks lesson in that.
1: Yeah, seriously. I mean, I was gonna say it's hard to just be good at comedy, and like the rejection is right there in front of you.
2: Yeah, you know, in your head you think, "Oh, I know how to tell this joke," or "I can just," I can, This sounds funny to me, but it's not till you get on the stage you realize just how bad the idea was. <laughs> you have to, you have to build your muscle for comedy, and timing, and joke writing, and all of that. And it, it takes a while. Anybody who gets up to do it will, they know it, it takes a while. So yeah.
1: Then how did you get involved with Upright Citizens Brigade?
2: Because that's I pretty taking, major. Yeah. So I started taking classes there and, um, you know, moved through their 101 to 401 classes, which at the time I think were more, uh, more prestigious in the comedy world than even they are now. There was like a, a different era where UCB kind of dominated the stage. And, um, certainly their live shows in Chelsea were huge. So we just go to see a bunch of shows, practice a bunch, started a bunch of, um, you know, indie teams and those came and went and fizzled a little bit, but it was more of a workout ground for me. I wasn't as heavily involved in UCB as a lot of, uh, a lot of people were, but, uh, definitely cut my chops there a little bit, learned a little bit there.
1: Were you in class or with anyone that now we could say like, oh my God, look at that person. <laughs> um this is where my mind goes
2: yeah no i'm thinking i mean I've, i'm i'm i was with a lot of people who are really doing well right now my my you know friend i we haven't seen each other in a long time or connected in a long time but sunita Mani is on glow uh and has since jumped from glow to a bunch of great indie films that came out this year and she's doing awesome tally medel was just recognized in an indie film that she did this year. And I, I feel like they are going to on the cusp of some really great stuff. And um, I imagine they'll blow up soon. <laughs> you know, I really hope so. But other than that, like a bunch of people who are out there working and doing good work. I don't think right. people that are, you know, have quite blown up yet.
1: Did you watch glow? Cause it was great.
2: Oh yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. Sunita's great. And it. it's just a fun show.
1: I mean, it's canceled now, but I think it's, in part from COVID. I think that's.
2: That was weird. That was a strange um, turn because it was a popular show and it was doing well. And then there was some discontent on set. I've heard through the grapevine and then suddenly, boom, it's gone. And and yeah, I mean, some people are blaming COVID, but there's a lot of shows that are just getting started right now. So yeah, I don't know. Something about that doesn't quite add up to me.
1: Why? Because Doherty's health is so important to me. Doherty is so picky. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but he loves this dog food. What do I love best about Superfood Complete? The fact that it's made with over 30 of the healthiest ingredients on the planet. But don't take my word for it. Go to badlandsranch.com velvet in order right now to get 50% off your regular priced order with a 90 day money back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S ranch.com slash velvet today. It's sandal season and that's something I used to wait all year for. But now with the new croc style sandals, I embrace those feel good summer vibes all year long Hey guys, I need to tell you about something which has made my life so much easier. It's called HelloFresh. And with HelloFresh, you get pre-measured ingredients and amazing mouth-watering recipes delivered right to your front door. It's that simple. You get a recipe and everything you need for that recipe is delivered along with that recipe and it's pre-measured. So it takes the stress and the thought and the planning of meals and it throws it out the window. Everything you need, you get from HelloFresh. You just follow the recipe, and voila. You have a meal on your table in no more than 30 minutes. Some meals take a lot less even to prepare. And what I love about it is, anyone that knows me knows I hate going to the grocery store. This eliminates all those trips to the grocery store. So home cooking, which I used to dread, is now, for me, fun and easy, and it's affordable. You get a minimum of 23 recipes a week. And the thing is the recipes, and everyone who knows me also knows that I have a very short attention span. The recipes are a huge variety of flavors and ingredients and cuisines. So last night, I didn't know what to make. I made the chicken tikka marsala. And the night before, I had the pork carnita tacos. So literally, you're eating Mexican one night, Indian the next night. You could literally have different meals and cuisines every single night. It's amazing. This has changed my life. You guys really have to try this. So here's the thing. Because you're listening to this podcast, you can go to hellofresh.com slash 10 velvet and use the code 10 velvet for 10 free meals. Let me just repeat that. 10 free meals, including free shipping. So that's right. Because you're listening, go to HelloFresh.com. That's HelloFresh.com slash 10Velvet. HelloFresh.com slash 10Velvet. Then use the code 10Velvet. That's it. You will get 10 free meals. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Plus free shipping you guys have to try this. I guarantee you're going to love the food. It's so easy. We're all so busy these days. This will this will be a game changer. Listen, don't take my word for it. It's America's number one meal kit. So you don't get to be America's number one meal kit unless you're doing something right. HelloFresh.com slash 10Velvet. Use code 10Velvet for 10 free meals including free shipping and DM me after you try it and let me know if this really is a game changer as much for you as it has been for me. I loved it. I thought it was one of the better shows.
2: Yeah, it was fun and it had a lot, a lot uh, further to go. I, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't see, you know, another network or streaming channel, pick it up and run with it. Totally. Yeah.
1: Did you, so when you were living in New York, like you just moved here, you were waiting tables, like, did you just say, I'm home? Or were you just like, you know, you never, like you lived in Kentucky, then you lived in Maine. Not to be stereotypical, but that's a lot different than living in New York. I mean, yes, you oh, have a yeah. brother here, that helps.
2: Yeah, but it wasn't quite home off the bat. I mean, you know how when you moved to New York and you have no money and rent is astronomical. I found a living situation that was, not, it wasn't for uh, adult human beings. It was literally a closet. It was 500 bucks a month for a closet. Uh, I didn't have anywhere to hang my clothes cause I slept in my closet. I, the bed filled the room. So I had to hang a bar above my bed with all my clothes on it, but it was on the second story um, right next to the elevated tracks to the seven train in Queens So the train would roll by and literally shake the whole apartment. My clothes would fall off and I'd wake up like covered in my clothes. I could hear the train announcements because we were right at a stop. So when I was sleeping, I'd be woken up by like, a crowded train is no excuse for an inappropriate touch. Like I would hear that in my dreams and wake up to that. That was before we had a rat infestation, which happened next. It It was just a whole mess.
1: And your uh, clothes would fall on you when the train rattled the apartment.
2: Yeah, yeah. The clothes would fall on me most nights. <laughs> it was it was a total mess. Um, but it felt like I guess at the time a badge of honor. You know, you moved to New York and you're it's supposed to be pretty uncomfortable <laughs> and and it was for a minute, but I somehow I loved it.
1: Well, I'm still just listening. I mean, even though farther away like it wasn't the heart of the city but 500 dollars. i don't know that's not so bad like i don't know where he could live now for even a rat infested shoebox
2: yeah yeah honestly they would charge 12 for that now
1: (laughs) seriously (laughs) and they
2: would advertise the rats you know they would there's no shame in it
1: but that is a badge of honor like to kind of do the starving you know i just moved to new york and i'm waiting tables thing
2: yeah, luckily, I was far from starving. You know, I, I got a job waiting tables, and I didn't have money, but I didn't have uh, struggles with the fundamentals, which I think is really what plagues people here. So, I mean, all in all, it was still a privileged little nook I lived in, but um, but it was, <laughs> you know, not ideal, at least, especially once rats took over our home, so...
1: So when you were waiting tables and you took classes in, like, Upright Citizens Brigade, like, then you were committed? Like, at some point, where did you go from, like, let me dabble in this to, like, I want to do this full-time?
2: Yeah, honestly, I think I was one foot in, one foot out until Odd Bomb Out popped up you know, really? UCB got me uh UCB in in comedy got me in touch with agents they started sending me out and then boom suddenly I got that show and it ran for 3 seasons and to be on a show that has you know not, somewhat of an extended run you go man this is a really good life <laughs> and this is a really lucky career and maybe maybe I can manipulate this into exactly what I want out of life but who knows cuz you know it's always a crap shoot so
1: We're going to talk about Al Mamao because that, just like Glow, is one of the best shows that's ever existed in the history of (laughs) TV. So, trust me. Your
2: lips to Jill Kargman's ears.
1: Seriously. And I've told Jill Kargman that too, many a time. What was I going to say? So, when you were like waiting tables and like trying to, you know, kind of like one foot in, one foot out, did you ever wait on someone, you know, who was like big in the business? You're just like, holy shit.
2: I had some great little moments of that. I, I remember like waiting on, Bill Hader was eating with um, Trey Parker for, you know, one of the creators of South park. Yeah. And I'm tweaking out because I wanted to be a comedian. And um, at the end of their meal and I, you know, people would come in and out of this restaurant. I remember Barbara Streisand and Tom Brokaw and Gerard Butler, like just random people of note. And this was the only table that I was like, I want to say something. I just want to say something because I admired these guys so much. And so at the end of their meal, I did the obnoxious thing where I was like, hey, I'm trying to do comedy. Do you have any advice? And um, Bill Hader really paused and took some time to talk to me. I mean, he was very gracious with his time. And he said, basically, you know, when I first started, I was terrible and uh, it wasn't until I started trying to make my friends laugh that I started to find success. Until I started doing things that didn't feel like I was pretending at jokes, but sitting in my living room with my closest friends, until I was able to translate that on stage, I, I wasn't really doing the thing. So he said, just keep going until you until you get that comfort level, because it'll come. And That's kind of nice. Yeah, it was good advice and it was really sweet of him to to take that time. It was really cool.
1: Did you wait on Barbara Streisand?
2: Uh, a friend did a couple tables down. I did not wait on I wish I waited on Barbara Streisand. I was, I was close to Barbara Streisand.
1: I had many questions if you did. So
2: I waited on Paul McCartney once. He was very really cool.
1: Pretty. Had did you ever wait on someone that was just so obnoxious? You're like, this is what I expected and this is. Cause you hear like some of the biggest people leave like the worst tabs, and then other people leave huge tabs.
2: Yeah. I didn't get a noteworthy person that disappointed me, but I did get plenty of New Yorkers who did.
1: <laughs> I'm sure. With the
2: craziest requests. Some woman asked if we would bake her a cake. There was no cake on the menu and she wanted us to stop the whole kitchen and make a cake for her.
1: Was she it was like a fancy me. restaurant?
2: It was a white tablecloth restaurant. It was one of those restaurants that's sort of pretending to be fancy. It's where you go if you want to feel fancy without paying fancy prices.
1: Okay. And she wants you to, well, I mean, I wouldn't ask someone in a restaurant to bake me a cake. I mean, (laughs) that is really beyond.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, so you were also on Happy-ish, which kind of came at the same time as i Mom Out.
2: Yeah, I did Happy-ish. Um for its for only season on hiatus to Mod Mom Out one year, yeah.
1: And that was like Catherine Hahn, like that's great, Ellen Barkin.
2: Catherine Hahn and Steve Coogan, yeah, I mean, um, awesome group of people and such a, such a fun show on the page, you know. It was one of those shows that you're like, ah, oh, this thing could really run. And I thought that was more of a break than it was. I thought that thing was going to go for a few seasons because it had – a clear perspective and it had some fun commentary but it didn't it it just ended up being the one season and that was it
1: I was just gonna say like was that your first like were you shocked when that happened or was that just like no? or were you like oh this is the business welcome to it here's my education
2: yeah I think it was more the latter I think you you never let your hopes get too high you just kind of right under the radar I've had several moments where I thought oh this is going to be a changer this is going to shift things and it doesn't it doesn't ever quite pan out the the way you think the way you might hope it will it's it's always different and that show just it felt like it held such promise um but you know initially Philip Seymour Hoffman was supposed to be the lead of that and sadly oh, he really? passed. Away. yeah I guess you know they were intent on making it still but it just didn't it didn't come together the way you think it does. There's always some magic involved to that makes a great show. And it just somehow missed that one.
1: Cause like, right. Like on paper, you're like, you're thinking like Catherine Hahn, like Bradley Whitford. This is like a hit.
2: Yeah, totally. Totally. And then You're
1: like, did you learn anything from that whole experience? Like from them or was the major learning experience? Just like, don't count your chickens before they're hashed. Don't, don't cash that paycheck until you're in season. Like four.
2: I tried to do some postmortems on that because, in my mind, being an acting is only, being, excuse me, an actor is only so satisfying. You want to create, you know, you want to write shows and eventually showrun or direct or what have you, and, and hopefully that's in my future. So to look at that show and dissect it and say what exactly went wrong when it was all on the page here, to me, there was something just tonally and timing wise about the show that the comedy that was on the paper didn't show up on screen. And to me, it was, it was a lesson in trusting your sensibilities as a creator. Because whoever wrote that show knew what they were doing. It was great on page. Um, we took it
0: all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere. The Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday.
1: Guys, you know how important I think it is to keep your body in shape. But let me tell you, it's also important to keep your mind sharp. And I've been leveling up my focus with Word Forest Word Forest is a new game and it's a puzzle app and it's free. My favorite word. Word Forest is an app and it's really it's made for word search addicts like me and I'm sure like most of you. you can connect letters in any direction to form hidden word matches. It is over 2,000 levels so you never get bored playing and it starts easy, but the longer you play, the harder it gets the better you get. It's fun. You can find as many words as possible to earn bonus coins and uncover hidden words. It's relaxing. It's a great way to grow your vocabulary. So put yourself to the test in this fun and addicting brain game. And right now, Word Forest is offering 2,500 coins and 500 gems when you download and play. Guys, I have been freaking playing for days. I love that it challenges you and there's so many words and you you really come up with words you haven't used in years. It's really fun. So stop, listen, if I can put down the Instagram and scrolling through social media, so can you. This keeps your mind sharp. Just go to Apple or Google store and search for Word Forest. Download Word Forest for free today. That's right. Go to Apple or Google store, search for Word Forest, Download it for free. And guess what? You'll be thanking me later.
2: But once the mechanism of creating a show gets its tendrils into the the process of creating it, somebody will make decisions that, that don't quite match with yours and the show won't have the the tone or the timing that you hope it has. So, you know, I think that's my takeaway, but we'll wait until I make something and it's not what I wanted it to
1: be. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So talk to me. How did one foot in one foot out? How did a mom out come about for you? Cause again, I think it's one of the best shows that has ever existed. So let's no. discuss.
2: <laughs> You're sweet. Uh, yeah, I guess, man, it was just kind of happened in a flurry. I, I got an audition. I didn't think anything other more of it because a month passed. And then I got a, a call saying, we want to see you again. I went back in for a call back and met Jill and the producers and, Um, two days later, they told me I got it. And so, you know, it wasn't some big test and test again and chem reads and all that. It was just kind of, I don't know, kismet and it worked out. So you Um, met Jill
1: on the second, like the second and last audition, so to speak. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right. And we immediately hit it off. Jill is, um, one of the funniest people. I have no, intimidatingly funny to the point that I like freeze up when I'm around her. I'm an awkward person around Jill Kargman because she, she absorbs so much air in the room in the best way. You know, she's just, you just kind of want to watch and see what she's going to do next.
1: Yeah. And like, then you factor in like, I mean, I'm not a school snob at all. I think someone could go to no school and just be brilliant. But then she also went to like all these great schools and you're just like, you're brilliant and you're really funny, and you're also really humble and down-to-earth, and you shouldn't be. She's like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, you have every right not to be. Go ahead. Yeah. Be a jerk, but she's not. She's just a sweet, sweet person. And, um, you know, she was able to translate her lived experience in, like, a really unique and funny way. I wish we had a little more ch- time to to go on with that show because she had brilliant ideas for the next few seasons. So,
1: Was – what did you like – best about Lex von Weber? <laughs> like, at it least was. in the beginning, like before you started in the three seasons, like, was there something right away that you were like, okay, this is going to work. Like, I-, I can play this.
2: You know, it's always fun punching up. Um, I think there, <laughs> there's so much that deserves satire in the finance world. So to just have that as the target was great for me but then there's nothing nearly as fun as playing dumb and it may sound easy and it may sound basic and it may be both of those things I don't care I love playing idiots the more certain they are of the knowledge they have that just isn't true the more fun I have playing it really? I, I just think it's yeah I just think it's joyous to play uh, a big buffoon especially a finance buffoon
1: what what research did you do for this part if any <laughs>
2: yeah it wasn't so um you didn't demand too much you know method behind cr- crafting the character it was it was a lot of instinct but it was also years of waiting these and i think that the that that was the so long. I the kind of passive contempt that they could have didn't fit the mold. Who weren't of their stature. Um, waiting tables was a great education in terms of financial douchery.
1: right? Because like I assume <laughs> like the lunch crowd where you worked was all finance bros so to speak
2: oh yeah a bunch of three martini lunches
1: so that's what you pulled yeah on the, the, the power
2: suits and the two you know lunches with clients it was it was a bunch of those guys hey unfortunately
1: well that's the thing yeah like- yeah i think well, no, I was gonna Sorry, say go like ahead. no, I was gonna say like in New York, like I didn't know if you knew a lot of like people in finance, like a lot of your friends were in finance. I think you're freezing on me. No,
2: I... yeah, I know we're getting a little delay here and there. Sorry about that. Oh,
1: It's okay. The joys of Zoom.
2: my Wi-Fi. Anyway, um, I was gonna say. Yeah, truly. Wow. I will, can't wait for the day where I never have to Zoom again.
1: Um, Tell me about it. Yeah,
2: so I was going to say, um, those, yeah, those guys were, um, you know, it was just sort of by osmosis that I learned their behaviors and kind of knew it. So when Lex came about, I didn't feel like I had to go revisit. I didn't have to, you know, study anything new. I just had to revisit all this stuff that I happened into in the restaurant. It was lucky.
1: That's really good. I mean, see, it all comes back to waiting tables, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> I guess so. I guess so.
1: What did you, well, I mean, I guess you already answered this, like you loved best about Lex, that he was dumb.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did love that he was dumb. It's a bad answer, but it, that's, that's my answer.
1: What about, is there anything, you know, you didn't like about Lex? You know, like he was self-obsessed in a way, or I guess he was just dumb and he wasn't really as self-obsessed.
2: He, oh, I think he was silver spoon bred to the point that his awareness of the world didn't extend much beyond the meter in front of his own face. And um, there's plenty I disliked about him as a person in the world. But as a fictional character, I love him. I you know, I love him. He's a, a big child. So playing him was a joy. He's he's a bundle of positive energy in so many ways. I I there's nothing I disliked about him as an actor, as a, a person who demands that the world have better people. I <laughs> I hated most things about Lex.
1: But yet he was still so likable. Like, is that something you know, like as an actor, that's like a challenge. I mean, even though you loved him, like, do you love getting a part where you're like, this person could be just deplorable, but I, it's my job to make them seem human?
2: Yeah, I think that's always tough. There's always a catch. I mean, sometimes you'll play characters that are supposed to be likable, but by virtue of who they are, you can't help but judge them you're not supposed to but you do a little bit and it was easy to do that i had to sort of tamp that down with him because we can't laugh with him. we can't you know ride the ride and enjoy the comedy of that character if he's just awful he can be a villain and a hero in the same episode because we hate him for the things that he's not but we do like him for the things that he is and there's something redeemable uh, about him um so that that was a that was a challenge in the character and it was i think a lesson in playing most characters almost everyone is better off if they're likable um so yeah i've, I've taken that with me a little bit
1: what about was there any storyline of lex's that you liked best and is there anything you're like this is totally jumping the shark like i can't believe we're doing this <laughs> and if there was like how does that look like do you just say hey Joel cardman i don't think so
2: Oh man, I, I was never, I was always, always knew I was on the ride. You know, this was her baby. Uh, She had a group of incredible writers. They stirred up so much fun stuff that, you know, at no point were you like, I, I, I distrust this, or I feel like I'm in a position to steer it in a different direction. I just want to be a part of it. You know, I just wanted to, I would have loved to be in the writer's room with them, you know. Um, but I remember in season three, you know, lacks up and goes to Mars. <laughs> and it's completely ridiculous. And I feel like I had the same feeling about that, you know, there was probably no storyline I was more excited for and no storyline I thought more jumped the shark. And I think Jill and the writers felt the same way, but they were like, screw it. Let's let this show be more absurdist than it is. And whether it worked or not, I, you know, it's up to the viewer, but like that was, that was fun. Even if it was outside of the realm of possibility, it was, it was fun and I uh, appreciated them for it for sure.
1: I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it was, I'm not even saying it jumped the shark. I mean, it did, but it was also like just a great, storyline yeah i think
2: i think ultimately they're like if we live in a world that these wealthy people do all of this absurd stuff because they actually do you know that that was pulled from the headlines that thing and manipulated for our purposes if we live in that world there's no shark to jump on odd mom out we we should just go there and just right. keep making it more ridiculous. And and why not? As I, I, I agreed with that and had a lot of fun because of it.
1: Did you love the fact that it was filmed in New York?
2: Oh, my God. That's a, the biggest blessing. I mean, I I've luckily shot quite a bit in New York, not just on Odd Mom Out. And to hop out of your apartment, on the you know, hit the subway and get to set is incredible. It's incredible, you know. That's, that's really rare. I hope I get that again someday.
1: And to not have to like move or go to some somewhere else.
2: Right. You'd be six months in Calgary or whatever, you know, like no way. It's 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 incredible.
1: Were you shocked at like when you did dive into this Upper East Side lifestyle? You know, and you said like that is ripped from the headlines, Lex goes to Mars. Like, and you just started in, you know, like Jill might say, like these are real things. Like, were you shocked <laughs> at like, Or were you already living here and like exposed to what goes on on the Upper East Side?
2: It's such a rarefied world that they hide their business pretty well. So I think Jill had a peek behind the curtain that even people who've lived here decades don't have. Uh, I'm not within that world. I never will be. And I was shocked to learn some of the things that were true, you know, that Jill experienced firsthand or knows happened to a friend or something. I thought, There's no way. That's bullshit. There's no chance. In reality, it, most of the stuff on the show was true. And that's what's so fun about that world. It's ridiculous. It doesn't actually, they don't obey any of the normal laws that everybody else obeys. It's, it's that sad. absurd. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Which,
1: I have a lot of friends on the Upper Side, and it's it's true. It's all, like, it's... Totally. I mean, that's why. Because, like, the fact that it was based on her book, Momzilla's, which is based on... It's Like, it was just such a good show. What about the guest stars? Because you guys had a plethora of guest stars. Were there any guest stars that, like, you loved working with more than others and you remember...
2: Well, I, some, a lot of my plot lines would be kind of Andy specific. So Andy Buckley and I would be on set together a bunch. And sometimes we had um, John Hodgman and Drew Barrymore on one episode, which was Mm -hmm. awesome. And everybody's so stoked because they're the biggest names, but I didn't get to share uh, any scenes with them. So, um, you know, I think I missed a lot of, guest stars on our show i I think i just kind of was off doing lex's own storylines but i remember those two were everybody was stoked to have them on they were huge
1: i will i mean eventually i was like jill has to pull in drew barrymore for something before the show ends so
2: i mean obviously that was gonna happen let's
1: get to it now yeah what about how great was abby elliott in scenes with abby elliott (laughs)
2: It would be very hard not to laugh sometimes i got I got better at it, but Abby has a um, just kind of a preternatural ability to go broad and be believable and I think it 's one of the hardest things for comedians to do. It can seem so hammy for other actors, and she can she can just deliver a line that 's completely ridiculous, but you believe that this person exists in a way that you wouldn 't I don't know if nine or ten, nine out of ten other actors did it. So <laughs> it's, it's working with Abby is especially fun because of that. She'll always crack you up one way or another.
1: Brooke Von Weber was also classic.
2: She was, yeah, she was the quintessential Upper East Side monster. She was amazing.
1: What about Joanna Cassidy?
2: Joanna is, <laughs> Joanna became, I think, the, the center of the show over time. I think in season one, she was sort of an in and out, ridiculous, absurdist type. And by season two, the writers realized what they had, which is Joanna Cassidy. She's an incredible performer. She's been around forever, but she doesn't get the opportunity to do as much comedy as her talents clearly show she should be doing. And so they go by season two, man, we have this like monster on our hands. We got to let her loose. And season midway through season two second part of season three she kind of dominates and i thought she became the the comedic center of gravity in the show in some ways
1: that that's a good point like they're just like look at this gift we have right here we have yeah. to use what's what's in front of us
2: yeah totally
1: what about were you aware like were you aware i mean because like from an outsider there was a lot of buzz you know just from the fact that it was on bravo like you know one of the first scripted shows on bravo like was that a thing like for the cast or it didn't really trickle down to you as far as like, this is a big deal for this network.
2: Yeah, I remember everybody being um, being excited in a way that, you know, it, it was novel. So we were wondering, well, how is this gonna go over? How many viewers will we get a night? You know, what, right. what kind of audience does Bravo have? And does their, you know, Real Housewives, powerhouse sort of, you know, center of the network, does that translate? to their scripted stuff, so it was a big experiment. It was interesting to you know, be a part of that experiment. You never know what you're gonna get when you throw a show on TV, but this had way more question marks than most shows, I think.
1: Right, because it was a big deal, like Bravo was doing scripted, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, we were the first one. It was, it was, it was cool, but I think, um, yeah, I guess we, we just didn't know what to expect.
1: Do you ever feel like, okay, if we were on a different network, maybe we would have lasted longer?
2: I wonder. Um, I really wonder. It's interesting how I think, especially with comedy. There's a there's sort of a climate thing, or there's something in the water that needs to happen, where people can watch a show and there'll be good comedies that never get their footing because I don't know, maybe they have the wrong time slot, or you know, an audience never had enough time to get to know the characters. Because once you know the characters, things start getting funnier, and you 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 feel acquainted with the world. Comedy takes that in a way that drama doesn't. And there's, I think a world where the show ends up, you know, on a network or ended up on a network with a good time slot and that could have happened to us. Um, but there's plenty of great shows that end up just not at the right time, not in the right moment. And they, and they don't go that direction. I think we had the ingredients, but like all comedies, we needed more time. Three seasons was only 30 episodes for us. And for a lot of shows, that's one season or one season and change or a season and a half or what have you. And that's just enough time for the writers, the producers and the actors to all congeal. Um, So I think we were just kind of we were just getting the motor running and there was a lot more to be mined. But um, unfortunately, I think the ship sailed, so we won't get a chance to revisit
1: I think it's sales. Were you like really upset? Like, were you upset when you found out it was canceled?
2: Um, I was, I was, but I also think that three seasons was, you couldn't quite be angry at something you never expected to be able to do in the first place. It was, it just felt lucky. I mean, it was sad because we loved doing this together. I think everybody really enjoyed each other on the show. Um, so it was sad, but at the same time, you just kind of figure, all right, well, there'll be greener pastures and you keep moving. What else can you do?
1: What did you learn from this experience? Like either from Jill or Abby or Joanna or Andy or just in general?
2: Oh man, everybody taught me something different. I think you learn being around Jill. Um, you learn how to, to you, you become a better comedian. Um, always has her antenna into the world and, you know, all points in time. And she's also a master juggler with a family and, you know, three kids, no less. And then, you know, steering this show, writing it, producing it, starring in it, uh, you kind of pick up exactly how to be as, um, I guess, prolific as she is uh andy taught me a ton about the industry just kind of writ large just being around him and hearing about his days on the office and all the work he's done and how he's navigated his career so much to be learned there and then abby and joanna especially you're just like well these are incredible performers let me just kind of witness them work and try and glean something from them yeah
1: what about were you ever on watch what happens live I can't remember.
2: I was. I was the bartender on it. They let me be the bartender on the show once. I was incredibly awkward. Oh,
1: Why? What happened? Oh, I mean, I, man, I definitely watched it. I just, I can't, you know. Yeah. No, I'm,
2: I'm grateful you don't remember. Well, because the bartender usually just sits there. They just kind of like turn the camera towards them every once in a while, but they never really say anything. So I, right. in my mind, I was mentally prepared to be a ghost. <laughs> you know, I was mentally prepared to not be there and then andy did like a highlight reel segment of all of lex's parts on uh bravo and then he asked me some questions i was like way not prepared for it i just thought you know i'm gonna stand in the background so i i just think i was like a clumsy the clumsy guy behind the bar
1: well now i'm gonna have to go find that clip
2: (laughs) why did i damn it why did i mention that
1: who were the guests on watch what happens was it odd mom out people or no
2: No, uh, it wasn't. It was a housewife, and you're going to have to forgive me, because as much as I'm appreciative of Bravo, i never watched any of the housewives. I was going to ask
1: you, like, did you ever watch reality TV before, like Bravo? No.
2: No, I mean, Bravo would invite us to their, like, parties and premieres, and I'd go, and there'd be all these people from their shows, and I wouldn't, I would, I was embarrassed, because I was supposed to recognize them. I had no idea who they were, no clue.
1: That's funny.
2: Yeah, yeah, they, I don't think they liked it very much,
1: but. Well, you know, like some people, reality TV is just not their thing.
2: It's not my thing. I, I never really could quite get into
1: it. How was Andy Cohen at when you did watch What Happens?
2: Oh, he was the sweetest. I couldn't believe he had a little segment prepared for me. He was just, he's just a sweet guy. And, um, yeah, I mean, every bit as nice as you'd imagine him to be, and kind, and gracious, and also funny and charming. The guy is just like a born entertainer, you know. It's just it comes so easy to him. You can see it.
1: So when you went to that, because I'm not so sure Jill knows all the housewives either. I was going to say, like, did any of your co-stars say, like, well, they're so and so, and that's that housewife? No, I don't know we were of just, any of them.
2: I mean, we were truly the odd group out. It was so apropos. We had no idea. <laughs> I don't think people knew and a lot of times I was going to ones that they weren't at or we weren't all together but like I Jill at least I'm sure knows everybody as a matter of habit you know she's incredible at networking and connecting with people and uh so I'm sure she would know but I think the rest of us were just like I I don't know whatever
1: right you're like whatever well then you were also in Ant-Man and the Wasp so that's kind of a big deal right
2: yeah, that was really fun. That was really cool. It was, it was um, kind of roundabout how I got that role. I ended up um, helping do chem reads for a certain, for the characters who ended up being cast as ghosts, the actors who cast as ghosts. So I got to know the producers helping out with the chem reads. And when this role popped up, they just gave me a direct offer on it, which was awesome.
1: That's good. Yeah. Was that like your first, because I know you've done other movies, but was that like your first, you know, like it's a blockbuster.
2: That was my first major studio. Well, I was in the intern a few years before that, but that's not quite, you know, Marvel is in its own stratosphere. It
1: is. Yeah. And like the fan base for Marvel is insane.
2: Ridiculous. Yeah, it's completely absurd. And, you know, just to be on one of those sets and see the apparatus at work, is mind blowing. I mean, there's unlimited resources. And yes. yeah, when we were shooting it, they were still, they were also shooting um, Infinity War and Endgame. And so I got to kind of creep around on the sets and see what was going on. It was, it was really, you know, you don't forget that. It's pretty cool.
1: Do people come up and recognize you from Odd Mom Out? Does anyone recognize you from Ant-Man? Do people Most just leave you alone?
2: Mostly Odd Mom Out. Yeah, mostly people uh, Odd Mom Out. I think mostly I get left alone. But when I, when I did get recognized here and there, it'd be from Odd Mom Out. Um, I guess just because the repetition of seeing my stupid face on that show.
1: Well, I mean, three years. And now what about the fact that it's on, did you have like a resurgence now that it's on Peacock Streaming?
2: um i haven't heard i'm gonna have to talk to jill i you know hopefully people are watching a bunch of it but i don't have any access to the numbers to the metrics on it and if more people are watching and did recognize me i wouldn't know because nobody's leaving their house <laughs> so
1: I, I think it had like a moment on peacock
2: it did it really man I yeah hope so. yeah that would be awesome
1: what about, well, you know, you may not realize this either, but I'm a fan of 911. I think it's a great show. So, oh, yeah, yeah. It's let's fun. talk about that. How did that part come about?
2: Uh, just through your regular audition process. Um, it's funny, you're sometimes ahead of the writing on shows where they're auditioning a character and they don't quite know what they're going to do with it yet. So, I didn't even know I was going to be a villain until after I was cast. I auditioned for sort of a nice guy part. And I knew it was supposed to take a turn, but they didn't have any of those scenes written yet. So I, I didn't audition with those scenes in mind. And, you know, lo and behold, I end up the big, big bad guy for an episode. And yeah, it was a blast.
1: Do you, I mean, you don't say no to Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. So there is that.
2: Yeah, I don't think anyone can say no to them. I think it's actually impossible.
1: Well, you know, it was only one episode, but maybe you're now in the family and maybe American Horror Story. I mean, Pose. There's lots of hey, things here.
2: I'm hoping, man. If you know uh, if you know Ryan, give him a shout. Tell him I'm available.
1: Do you watch, like, do you, I mean, you don't watch reality TV, but, like, do you watch any, like, TV Do you have any, you don't have to, but do you have any shows that you just love? Like what type of TV? I do.
2: My favorite show on TV right now is Succession. And it's not on now We're in between seasons. I can't wait for it to come back. I'm obsessed with that show. I think it's incredible.
1: Do you like that that's like your typical type of show?
2: Yeah, I love the, I love dark comedies, brooding shows and especially ones like that, that punch up. You talk about a show that's targeting the right people. I think that's, that's that show. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: What about for 911? Like, do you do anything to prepare for a part like that? I mean, like, you're a bully, you beat up your date, kind of gay bashing, taking over hostages. And I won't like, how does one prepare for that?
2: Yeah, that guy was a scumbag. I mean, you, I guess you just kind of have to find those places. You're, You're always trying to find those places in yourself. It's just the most uncomfortable when it's Ways you would loathe to be, you know, you'd hate to be that person, but you got to figure out what part of you is actually that person. And um, I, yeah, I just kind of experimented with that in private and, and found it somehow that way. Um, there wasn't any much research to do outside of myself because you're always hoping that whatever comes out of you doesn't feel like a villain that's been played before, but, you know, inevitably it will at least a little bit.
1: Well, it was a good twist. I mean, I don't think anyone saw it coming.
2: That's, I guess, why they cast a nice guy. I mean, presuming I'm a nice guy. Obviously, wasn't in that.
1: I think you're nice. What about what was working? Because you had like a, you know, at some that scene like with Jennifer Love Hewitt and Angela Bassett, right? She was in at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angela. What was that, that like, Jennifer Love and Angela?
2: Um, you you never know what. The- people are going to be like, I, I remember I start, I stopped Angela at one point because I didn't spend much time on set with her, but I stopped her just to be like, um, in case you didn't know you're a legend. And she was like, Oh, sweetie, you're the best. Like gave me a hug. She was awesome. And Jennifer Love Hewitt And I spent a lot of time on set because I was holding her hostage for much of the set show. Um, apparently she's the like mother of the whole show. If you're on set, she's going to order food for everybody. Uh, she's like, kind of takes it upon herself to take care of everyone make people feel comfortable as a guest star you pass in and out of a show and you wait for somebody to you know talk to you because you're like the new kid at the high school and she was kind of um purposefully gracious in terms of like pulling guest stars into the conversation and getting them acquainted with everybody and i'm, I'm really grateful to her for that i hope i get to work with her again because i we i genuinely had fun
1: together i think and that's her reputation—that she's kind of the mother of the show.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the feeling that I got. Everybody around her is—you know—there's just a a energy to her that um, is kind and warm and accommodating, and makes everybody feel
1: at home for sure. Did you ever see what's love got to do with it with Angela Bassett, the Tina Turner I story? Never,
2: yeah, I actually I never saw it. Which did she? She was she nominated? Or did she win the Oscar for that?
1: That's a good question. I think she won, but I think she might have won. She was definitely nominated. I think she might have won. I think. Yeah. But I've just, that should be your, put that on your list until we, sometime between now and the time we leave our apartments and New York City opens up, it'll, I mean, like, if you love Tina Turner, you'll love it. But even if not, you'll like, be like, this is amazing. I do love oh Tina Turner. I
2: obviously love Angela Bassett. So, okay, that's going to go to the top of my list.
1: And you didn't see Peter Krause, right? Like, Because he didn't—he wasn't in that scene, I don't think. Um, just
2: he? passing through the, you know, wardrobe truck, we'd, we'd catch each other. Um, I didn't get a chance to work with him particularly, but I, you know, met him, shook hands with him really quick back when that was allowed. And uh, yes. I always thought that when he was young we bore some sort of resemblance. <laughs> I've seen Peter Cross on 6 feet under and that's like look, we kind of look like brothers. So I, I felt
1: could the see that. with
2: him, but I never got a chance to really hang out with him.
1: If you could work with like anyone, I mean, I know I I know how an actor's life is and work is work, but like if you could just work with anyone, like who are some of the people you would love to work with, actors or actresses?
2: Mm, Well, my mind goes to creators. Um, Not necessarily. I mean, obviously, there's certain people that I just think are working on an entirely different level. And if you could just be in the same room as Christian Bale and watch him work or Mahershala Ali, or, you know, any of these people that are like, fully transformative in their work, as bad as it would make me feel about my capabilities, it would just be awesome to witness. But you know, for me, it's creators. I I, I really want to work with Adam McKay. I think anything he touches is pointed and targeted in terms of its um, political messaging, and I think that's some of the most valuable th- stuff. You know, I think it's yeah. incredible. Ava DuVernay does the same thing. Um, so, you know, those are people I would be absolutely giddy and ruin my pants to work with, for sure.
1: Those are good ones.
2: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I would love that.
1: And do you live by yourself now? Are you single?
2: I'm not. I'm um, currently in a relationship. I'm That's why I'm bouncing back and forth between L.A. and Brooklyn. I, I live in uh, L.A., but in Brooklyn, I share an apartment with my girlfriend. So, you know, trying to be with her during COVID at least.
1: Do you love L.A.? Uh, yeah, I
2: don't know, man. I moved out there. I've spent a bunch of time out there, but I I moved out there nine months before the pandemic hit, which is just kind of enough time to get your feet under you and meet some people and start to make the city your own. But um, then everything got shut down. And LA, if it's shut down, you're at home. You know, you can't even walk the streets. There's kind just of. nowhere to go. You know, you're kind of isolated. So I... I you know, bailed on L.A. for a while this year and have been back in Brooklyn. So I need to give L.A. more of a fair shot. I need to get back out there.
1: Splitting, I mean, I I think that's the best combination, splitting your time between New York and L.A.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you find it's easier to get opportunities just being out there? Because that's what a lot of people say. I mean, I know there's a lot of opportunities here too, but.
2: That's why I moved out there. Um, Brooklyn's my home. I wish I could stay here year round. I love it. But um, L.A., you you can't do the whole career here in New York. I got to a point where I knew I was well connected here and it was time to build new relationships. And uh, I went out West and started doing that. But then COVID just kind of cut everything off. Seriously. So, yeah, I don't know what my future in L.A. is right now. We'll see.
1: What's next for you for the rest of quarantine? Like, I mean, are you auditioning? Cause like some, I mean, it's, that's the thing about Hollywood. Like, it's amazing to me that we missed a beat for a second, but now like things are happening. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's not the same. I get it, but like, there's still TV and movies. It's crazy how like Hollywood doesn't miss a beat.
2: Yeah. They will find a way. They will definitely find a way. Um, especially if Tom Cruise is on your set. You will be following COVID rules.
1: That was um, like, I'm like, good for you. I I'm like, what? Yeah.
2: I, I People were responding to that like, you know, he just cares. He just cares a lot. And I was like, that is never a way you treat human beings.
1: Never. Seriously.
2: Never. I'm sorry. That's not, there's no excuse for that. I were you shocked to hear rule. that? Yeah. I mean, don't, even if people broke the rules 20 times, You know, you're not a god. You can talk to people as if they're, you know, your equals because they are, Tom. I know you're not used to that, but, you know, treat people with some dignity, please.
1: Seriously, you're like, something's going on there. Like, this is more than a bad day.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know, Tom Cruise. Maybe he's the nicest guy in the world, but I was shocked. I was shocked. Um. Anyway, wait. What was the question? What were we talking about?
1: About um, let me see. About what um, like you know, there's still auditions going on. Like, what are you going to do for the rest of the COVID? Like, are you auditioning? What have you been up to? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it was slow, kind of auditions trickling in for a while, and then really in the last several weeks, in the last three weeks, it's gotten crazy busy for me. I've had, I've been buried in auditions. Which is lucky, and I'm almost like, give me a breather here. I understand how incredibly fortunate that is, but it was slow for a while. So to see that come, it was rain in a desert, and hopefully some of that pans out. I think it's probably about to stop, shut down for the holidays like it always does.
1: Probably. But
2: all, all signs say go in January. I think we're going to be back.
1: Well, A, you'll have to come back on when you land your next gig and you can talk all about it.
2: I would love that.
1: I promise we'll talk about other things. We don't need to talk about Odd Mom Out next time. But thank you for humoring <laughs> me.
2: Not at all. I hopefully I, I book something that gives you something else to ask me. I hope.
1: Look, you didn't think I watch Nine One One, Odd Mom Out, and Nine One One. I'm very diverse over here.
2: You really are eclectic tastes.
1: But I, but Ant Man, that's out of my repertoire. <laughs> of. When it comes to Marvel, I will admit I understand it. It's just not for me. But I understand that no one in the Marvel Universe is worried about whether I give my stamp of approval.
2: I think, you know, they have a wide viewership. They'll be okay without you.
1: I think they'll be okay. And then also, (laughs) I want to give you a chance. Like, i like to give people a chance at the end. Like, is there anything we didn't cover? Anything else you would like to bring up? I I have my own agendas, but I want to, you know, if you have anything else you would like to bring up, promote, I'd like to give people a chance at the end to do Man,
2: I wish... I wish I had more exciting stuff going on in my life, but um, any to any of your viewers that are in Georgia, vote. Please vote January 5th. I feel like that's the only thing I would have to say.
1: And I know, right, I know you have a something political with your brother. I could pretend to know what it is, but I don't yeah. really know what it is.
2: We work with an um, anti-corruption nonprofit, meaning uh, this organization is dedicated to ending gerrymandering. Uh, they're trying to instill stronger ethics uh, codes in Congress and get rid of lobbying money and, and basically the long and short is whenever any bit of legislation comes about special interests and corporations with a lot of money get their say first and then Americans get the scraps and they're trying to reverse that, that and put us first um, and it's the core at the core of so many of our problems as a country I mean we've got a lot of Obviously huge obstacles in our way, and this is only one of them. And I know there's a lot of important stuff, but um for us it's been a focus because we want, you know, affordable health care and decent pharmaceuticals that don't cost an arm and a leg. And we don't want our environment to go to shit. And behind the legislation that could help those things are armies of lobbyists trying to stop them. So this is an organization called Represent Us. It's www.represent.us and they're doing awesome, awesome work. So, yeah, I would encourage anybody to go check it out.
1: See, you are a nice guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I moonlight as one. Yeah, we, we'll meet in person someday, and I'll, I promise you I'll treat you like shit.
1: We'll have drinks <laughs> in New York when all this opens up.
2: I would love that.
1: Me and you and your girlfriend. Because, I mean, you know, eventually we have to get out and have our restaurants open and have a drink somewhere in public. Yeah,
2: tell you what, let's yeah, let's give these restaurants some money. They're gonna need it and I'm glad to uh drink a bathtub when I finally can get back into a restaurant.
1: Same here. I'll have a couple martinis. You could you could drink (laughs) what you want. I just want my vodka.
2: (laughs) Fair fair enough, man. Fair enough. I
1: what will, is will, your drink?
2: Yeah. Do you have What's
1: like a, do, What is your drink like? Do you have a specific ooh, drink? Ooh,
2: you know it's kind of seasonal, isn't it? I would say I'm a rye whiskey Manhattan on the rocks kind of guy right now, and then we'll we'll see That's in incredible. spring. Maybe I'll go back to the Negroni. We'll see.
1: Those are all good. Where can everyone find you online on Instagram or wherever else you might be? Yeah, it's just my
2: name at Sean S E A N K L E I E R at Sean there and on Twitter. Um, I'm no longer on Facebook and (laughs) steadily trying to, you know, wean myself off of social media. So it takes up less time, but I'm there and you can find me and message me and always happy to say hello.
1: That's amazing. I really appreciate you taking your time. We will keep in touch. I will reach out. You'll come back on and this was great. So thank you so much.
2: I hope so. Would love to come back on and, and thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Anytime. Keep in touch.